We find ourselves in the 11th chapter of the book of Acts. Let me just put it for you in terms of time. Depending on who you listen to, and uh, we won't argue about this today, you, you can argue about this back at home if you want, uh, what year Jesus was crucified, died, and rose again, sometime in the early 30s. Some people press more towards 33, some people more press towards 30. Uh, where m- many people believe, uh, because they speak in generalities or they take clues from some of the historical references in the book of Acts, many people believe now in chapter 11, we're in the early 40s, okay? We're in the early 40s. So some 10 plus years maybe uh, have transpired since Jesus died and rose again. And remember, what, what is the book of Acts? Well, everybody do me a favor. You ready? Turn around and look behind you at the people. Got it? Taking a mental picture? Okay. That's the book of Acts. You are. The book of Acts is the story of these, this little band of followers that followed the one who claimed to be the Messiah. And he died and rose again in Jerusalem, Israel. And... It spread, and for the first several years of the book of Acts, the gospel spread, but mostly in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. Now listen to what I'm saying, to people who were Jewish, mostly. There are some exceptions, of course. And then we're in this middle part of the book of Acts where the baton, you ever watch track? The 440 or whatever, the whatever, you know what I'm talking about, where they pass the baton. We're in the place where the baton is being passed, and we're getting now Jews and Gentiles being preached to. And today we're going to see, I think, hopefully, if I get that far, or if we get that far, uh, the early followers of the church for the first time purposely going out and sharing the gospel with Gentiles. You say, well, what about chapter 10? Cornelius was a Gentile. Yeah, but remember, Cornelius and God orchestrated this thing, and Cornelius was inviting them. What I'm saying is this next chapter is like a different degree of reaching out to the Gentiles. Everybody with me? Because now people are going out and Can you guys put up, if you're over there, can you put up the uh, map for me, please? Oh, sorry, I surprised them. And uh, what what I want you to see is that uh, Jerusalem is on the uh, uh, eastern side of the Mediterranean Sea, but there's a northern side and there's a southern side. And you see down here where Jerusalem is, look where Tarsus is in Cyprus. What, what, it's, it's, the, the gospel is going this way, and oh, by the way, Alexandria too. And it's going and it's spreading all around. And that's, that's what our travel is. And, you know, when you sit and turn around and look at each other, it all started there in that little place called Jerusalem, the most hotly contested piece of land in the, in the entire history of the world. Why so? Because that's God's city. And uh, God did uh, uh, his amazing work of sending his son there, but now it's spreading across and up above uh, the Mediterranean Sea. And when you turn around, I want you to just think, you're in little peewee, tiny little West Elizabeth and Western PA, 
and the gospel has arrived here. (laughs) And they did it without Facebook and Instagram and cell phones and phones. And they did it how? They did it just personally, face-to-face. Is there anything wrong with spreading the gospel that way? No, but there's nothing ever going to supplant or take the place of personal, one-on-one, teaching and preaching and sharing and loving and discipleship. And oh, by the way, sprinkle in persecution. Because the reason we saw earlier in the book of Acts, why they moved out from Jerusalem, they sort of were just staying there, is because the church was persecuted and the Bible tells us that the followers of Christ were scattered. But not scattered like when you turn a light on for a cockroach. The word that they used for scattered is a purposeful placing of people because of the persecution. Look, I just made up some alliteration there. Is it alliteration? Well, whatever. You get what I'm saying. It was this perfect placing of people through the persecution. God is sovereign, folks. And yet, we have human responsibility. It's amazing. It's all through the scriptures. And so, last couple weeks, we've been seeing the baton being passed to a family named Cornelius. And Peter doing his work here uh, between Caesarea, a beach town up from Jerusalem, about 30 miles, and Joppa. Or excuse me, I said Jerusalem. Caesarea and Joppa. Joppa is the famous place where, uh, 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 you know, the whale, Jonah and the whale. He left from Joppa. It's right on the beach. It's beautiful. It's right there. And we have Simon Peter at a tanner's house in um, uh, Joppa and uh, this guy named Cornelius up in uh, Caesarea. And they're both being spoken to by the Lord at the same time. And Cornelius sends a delegation down to Joppa, and up comes Peter. And what I read you when we were preparing for communion was Peter's teaching to the family of Cornelius. And I want to remind you in verse 44 that the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision, verse 45 who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. You know what? You folks love the Steelers. You sort of love the Pirates. You, I know you love the Penguins. And when they win big, you jump up and down. And right there, we ought to be jumping up and down. Or on our face in thanksgiving and uh, gratefulness. Because the Holy Spirit, as it was in Pentecost, mainly on the Jews, is now poured out on the Gentiles. And I got news for you. Most of you sitting in here are not Jewish. You're Gentiles. And so praise the Lord that Christ's sacrifice, Ephesians chapter 2, go thereafter and watch, broke down that separation and the walls came down and the new covenant is for the whole world. It doesn't matter who you are, what color you are, what economic status you have, male or female, 
It doesn't matter. Employer, employee, doesn't matter. Whether you have a Lexus or a Pinto or anything in between, whether you have a great job or not a job, In Jesus Christ, we're all one. And the walls have come down, and the Holy Spirit is poured out on the Gentiles, and they hear them speaking with tongues and magnifying God. Just by the way, speaking in tongues always is magnifying God. It's never like outward this way. It's always about magnifying God when you read them in the, or, or encounter them uh, doing tongues in the, the Bible. Well, Peter answers and said, Can anyone forbid water? that these should not be baptized who've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Could I have a better plug than this for baptism in May? If you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and you are filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit has come into your life, let's have you be baptized to proclaim that that has happened. And it's a testimony to all the world. And it an, even can be an evangelical tool. I mean, come bring your unbelieving friends to the baptism. Do it. I'm inviting people to the Mashankos. You see how I do that? <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. It's a public proclamation. And then Peter answered and said, oh, excuse me. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. Okay, now watch. Ready? Chapter 11, now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea, I do this with my class. You have to know this or you won't understand the Bible. In Israel, if Israel is a rectangle, the bottom part of Israel, is the area is called Judea. The middle part of Israel is called Samaria. And the top part of Israel is called an area called Galilee. We play this funny game in Bible college. The bottom is one, the middle is two, the top is three. And when we get to a place and we say, the apostles and the brethren were who in Judea, we say, what box is that in? What would you say? One, exactly. It's in one, it's in the bottom. It's where Jerusalem is and then below it, the Judean desert. Now, look, the apostles and brethren who were in Judea, remember, this is starting to creep up the coast. Everybody tracking with me. So now you know when you see Judea, you go, oh, okay, down by Jerusalem. They were in Judea. They heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, now that's weird, because Peter was higher on the map. He was north. And when he went down south, don't most people said he went down to Jerusalem? Why does it say they went up to Jerusalem? It's always this way. Why? Because Jerusalem's up on a high hill. So no matter which direction you're coming from, when you go to Jerusalem, you're going up. So here they are. They're coming down on a map, but they're on a high hill. A high hill. And it says when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision, who's that? Those of the circumcision are Jewish people. What was it? The circumcision, that peeling away or cutting away of the foreskin of the male, was a sign between God and Israel that he was choosing them as their special people. What? To do what? This is important. To reveal his love and mercy and grace to the entire world. That's what it was. they were for. Not so that they could hold on and hoard God's love, 
But that they, according to Norman Geisler, I'm stealing from Norman Geisler, are a conveyor of God's love. They were showing the world. That's what circumcision was for. And circumcision, by the way, I'm taking a rabbit trail here. Ready? Circumcision is talked about in the New Testament that no matter if you're male or female, you must be circumcised. And you go, wait a second, hold on. In what way? The Bible says that your heart needs to be circumcised. When you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, what are we doing? He's cutting away the fleshly part of a heart and a life and inserting into it the Holy Spirit of God so that all of us, male or female, we walk in that way, full of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? Oh, I think it's wonderful. Maybe the heat's got you. But anyway, uh, so Peter came up to Jerusalem and watch. Those of the circumcision contended with him saying, wait a minute. Here's, here's how it was probably said. You ready for this? You went into uncircumcised people? Now, what's this talking about? Listen, folks, write this down. I want you to learn this. Leviticus 11. Leviticus 11 details the dietary laws. No, no kidding. Leviticus is in the Old Testament. We're in the New Testament. And Leviticus detailed the dietary laws. And what was the purpose of the dietary laws? Here was the purpose of the dietary laws. It was to further set Israel apart from the rest of the nations as a special nation to show God's love to the world. But when Christ came and he fulfilled all the law and uh, all of those things, and after in chapter 10 of Acts, God told Peter, all the food's clean, the dietary laws were no longer necessary because Jesus fulfilled these things. Now, as an aside, hold on now. I, I know I'm jumping around and I promise I'm going to get on a roll here and quit taking these rabbit trails. But these are important things that you need to know. Paul later goes on and says, hey, if you want to keep the dietary laws, do it. No big deal. But if you're free not to take the di or adhere to the dietary laws, praise the Lord for that too. And in this matter, don't fire shots across the aisle to the other group of people telling them they must. If you do that, you are putting yourself and other people or attempting to put them back under the law. And we live by grace. If the Bible says to you to worship on a certain day, he says it, Paul does. If you have an issue, talk to Paul. Like Saturday. You want to worship on Saturday? Praise the Lord. Worship on Saturday. You want to do it on Sunday? Because that's what the early church did. Yes, do that too. It's always great to praise the Lord. The problem becomes when somebody says you have to to worship on Saturday. Get the difference? Then we move into territory. And Paul says, be gracious about these things. If for this person over here, they are, are struggled uh, or stumbled by eating food that was contained in the dietary laws, you know what you probably shouldn't do? If you invite them over, I mean, don't have a bacon cheeseburger. Right? 
I mean, be respectful. Don't make them stumble. Be higher than that. And you guys are all saying, well, that doesn't really matter. Oh, really? Let's bring up the issue masks. I'm just going to give you a little secret. I hate masks. Maybe amen, but I got to tell you, if you're worried about it, I'll wear it all day, every day. If it's going to stumble you, I'll wear it because I love you. So be careful in this regard. Here, they were shocked. They were down in Jerusalem and they were Christians and they had heard that the people up here higher that are Gentiles up there in Caesarea had received the word of God. And then they heard this. You can imagine the report. Yeah, and guess what? Peter went into their house and ate with them. And they were shocked. And when Peter got back, they contended with him and said, hey, what's the deal? You went into uncircumcised men and ate with them? By the way, folks, in the law, that was never in the law. It wasn't said that you wouldn't <laughs> associate with people. That de developed, listen, listen, it developed out of spiritual superiority, the icky kind, the kind that says, I'm right and you're wrong, and everything I say is right and you're wrong. That's what it developed up, and it developed out of legalism. Legalism, this placing trust in traditions that would set us apart and making you feel superior to another group. And so they started to say, well, not only dietary laws, but I can't even go into somebody's house and associate with them and have table fellowship with them. Are you with me? You see what legalism can do? That's why we need the grace of God, am I right? And so that's what's happening here, and they're shocked. But Peter explains it to them. He didn't get mad. He didn't cuss at them. He didn't do whatever. He explains what happened. Hey, I want to tell you something, and he goes from the beginning. Now watch. This is the second time this story has been recounted in addition to the time that it's actually told in the Bible. You get what I'm saying? They tell the story of the vision of Peter up on his housetop, and then Peter retells it to Cornelius, and then in chapter 11, Peter tells it again to the people in Judea. Is everybody tracking with me? And the reason I say that is, what did they write on back then? They didn't write on things like this. They wrote on scrolls. And in order to put a scroll under your arm and carry it, you only had a certain amount of area on the scroll. Is everybody with me? And to write one book, you would be thinking about, well, come on, how much room do I have on the scroll? And so what I'm trying to tell you is three times this is retold, which means it's ultra important. Sometimes we phase out right here because you're like, I'm not Jewish and I don't know. And what the Lord is trying to tell you is the things that you come with that are prejudicial, the thoughts and attitudes that have developed in your life, and if you say you don't have them, you're lying. Outside of Christ? And he's saying, by Christ, I want those to go away. You can go eat with anybody. 
All food's clean. You're free. You don't have to be bound by color or race or, or this group or that group or economic status. We can all come together in Jesus Christ. Oh, praise the Lord. And you know, some people might worship a little bit different, and some people might look a little different. Some people want to wear a suit and do this, and some people might get a little louder, and some people do this, and some people do that. Yes, because there's sometimes cultural differences and differences in things. Well, praise the Lord for that. Aren't you glad we're not all the same? We can be who we are, just who we are in Christ, and not feel, I don't know, um, uh, attacked for it. Praise the Lord. You worship in that way, in a good way. You, you, you look different in this way. Well, praise the Lord. We're all different. I'm glad I don't have to be something I'm not. And you're glad too, aren't you? So Peter explained to them an order from the beginning saying, hey, I was in the city of Joppa praying in a trance. I saw a vision. And I saw this object descending like a great sheet let down from heaven, four corners, and it came to me. And when I observed it intently... By the way, in the other account, I love this. It says at the time that this vision came that Peter was hungry. And so God uses what's going on in our lives and does his work through hunger even. (laughs) So uh, can he do it through uh, sports? I hope he can do it through sports. But anyway, so I was in the city there. I saw this. And when I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time to enter my mouth. And that's bordering there on legalism. And what do I mean? I mean, that's what legalists say. I'd never do that. I'm going to keep everything out there. Look how, and even, uh, 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 you know, Peter had this tendency, even with the Lord. I'll never deny you, Lord. You've got to watch it. I've got to watch it with those declarative statements. Because I want to tell you something about Peter that you might not know. Peter had a slip-up in this area. Do you know this? In the book of Galatians, Paul had to come to Peter in Antioch the city that we're about ready to read about, the church that we're just about ready to read about. And Peter later has a slip-up on this very issue. Peter would eat with his Jewish brethren, but when he saw Gentiles coming around at this one event, he sort of froze and didn't associate with them. And Paul says he came face-to-face with him and talked to him about it. In other words, what are you doing? This is a settled issue. And so the reason I bring that up is not to rip Peter, is to recognize in our own life, and who does recognize when you don't walk according to the Spirit, how quickly things can go off the rails. Be careful of the declarative statements. Be careful of I'll never, I will. Watch, we need the Lord. That's what we need. We need the Lord minute by minute, second by second. So here you go. He says, not so, Lord, for nothing common has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me and said, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now, here's the flip side of this. We recognize in ourselves outside of Christ without the spirit in our life, what we could do and be. At least I think we do. 
But on the flip side of that, watch this. For those of you who feel like a worm or in the dust or don't feel important or nobody loves me and I'm not making fun, those are real thoughts for real people. It happens a lot. I want you to remember this. Put this up on your refrigerator. You're uncommonly wonderful. (laughs) You're not common. He's, in Jesus, made you clean and given you eternal life and a new life and given you uh, justification, sanctification, glorification, and you're now called a child of the king. That's precious. That's who you are. If you feel like you're a nobody, I got news for you. You're a somebody. And don't let people tell you differently. Christ marched to the cross for you. You mean a lot. You matter. You're not common. You're uncommon in a good way. Now, this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. And at that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was having been sent to me from Caesarea. Remember, Caesarea is the beach town when you go with us to Jerusalem. And you're going to go in March of 2024. I know you are. You're going to go. You're going to go to Caesarea, and it's you're going to go to Joppa, too. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. And the Romans made this their sort of like capital city of the area and you go when you get there you go oh i understand why they did this it's beautiful so there they are caesarea then the spirit told me verse 12 to go with them doubting nothing moreover six brethren accompanied me and we entered the man's house and he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him send men to joppa and call for simon whose surname is peter who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. This must be an important story three times. And again, I want to remind you, all prejudice in Christ, gone. Pray about that. Ask the Lord to do that work in your heart. Here's the other thing. When God was working on one in Caesarea, he was working simultaneously on the other in Joppa, and he brings them together for his glorious purposes How cool is that? You know what I think we should do? In both ways, both ways. Listen, find people who are different than you. Ask them out for coffee. Pray with them. Love them. Listen to their story. As the Lord is working on you, maybe he's working on him or her, right? You see what I'm saying? And just do it and get together and love people and be sincere in that. Well, here, these two come together, and the Lord did an amazing work, and Cornelius' house is saved, the people. Look in verse 16 here of Acts chapter 11. Then I remembered the word of the Lord. This is great. How he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And you could go back into Luke chapter 3, verse 16, and you could see that John uh, was talking about this, Jesus was uh, uh, around, and John was baptizing with water, but Jesus was going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, that promise is again brought up by the Word. And remember, there's this relationship that the Holy Spirit has with us. That's an indwelling relationship. When you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, He comes into your life, and He indwells you. You could look it up in uh, John. Uh, 
He's in you. But then there's this coming upon ministry of the Holy Spirit, and here it comes again. This being baptized in the Holy Spirit, and what does that mean? Just overwhelmed with the Holy Spirit, so that, watch, so that the gifts and the graces of God start pouring out of your life so that people can see God's grace of what's going on inside. Everybody with me? That's what the Holy Spirit is for, or excuse me, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for. That, and it's part of his evangelical way in which he sends people out with bold witnesses. Okay, we've talked about those things at length. Now, here we go. If therefore, verse 17, God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? Now, he's telling these people in Jerusalem who are Jewish Christians, and he's like, don't blame me, guys, gals. I'm not the one who set up the program. But the program is this, Peter is saying, and you better get used to it. And it's this, God's doing this. And that's his program, that the gospel would go to the entire world. And you turned around today and saw evidence of that. So, verse 18, when they heard these things, watch this. This is really sweet. When they heard these things, they became silent. And you, can you imagine if you were in this meeting? You're Peter, and you sort of give them the, the rundown, and then you say, hey, don't blame me, guys and gals. Don't blame me. This is God's program. And they, they're silent. For that split second, whatever it was, five seconds, ten seconds, you imagine Peter going, huh, I wonder how this is going to go. <laughs> hmm. And after whatever, the silence, look at this, how beautiful. They glorified God. The prejudices, the hang-ups, they all go away. And what they do is they glorify God. I mean, there could be some things right there in that silence. You mean you're telling me it's for people who are not circumcised? You know, you could have all that kind of stuff. Not here. They glorify God. There was a move of the Spirit. And when there's a move of the Spirit, prejudices go away. People come together in the gospel. And what happens? God is glorified, not you or me. It's so great. And then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Oh, my. We don't read that in any way because we just sort of know Acts chapter 11. But you turned around and looked at each other, and that verse right there is why. God has granted to the Gentiles repentance unto life. And what is eternal life? Just you do it later. Go look at John 17, 3. This is eternal life that you would know God through Jesus Christ. It's knowing God and being known by him. We think, oh, and by the way, I got saved off the back of a magazine, but I'm going to say it this way. We think, oh, just read the thing and do this, that, and check off something. And then, no, it's knowing God. That's eternal life and, and, and being known by God. It's this personal thing between you and him where you walk with him and you talk with him. And he whispers to you and he talks to you through his word. And you go to him like a great dad 
when you have problems or you have re, uh, joys or you have rejoicing and you just, you just share and you go out at night in a walk and you're just talking to the Lord or you're in your car or whatever, that's this. That's eternal life. And eternal life doesn't start when you die. It starts when you surrender your life to Christ because you're reconciled to God. Now watch this. Those who were, here it comes again, scattered at the persecution. That was back in chapter 8, verses 1 and 4, when we encountered a guy named Paul. Everybody here know who Paul was? His first, uh, he was first known as Saul. That's exactly right. Saul was consenting to the death of the Christians in chapter 8, and at that time a great persecution arose, which was at, at the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered. Where were they scattered? I talked about that earlier. To Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. They stayed back. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial. And as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house, dragging them off, committing them to prison. Watch this, verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word, and then Philip goes down to Samaria and preached Christ. And you remember all of that. And there was this persecution that got them out of Jerusalem. Folks, persecution isn't bad. Oh, you're like, what? Praise the Lord, man. Praise the Lord that the Lord has settled the death question for us. If you walk out of here, God, for, you know, I don't want it to happen, but let's say I did. I walked out of here and the bus hit me. Well, don't feel sorry for me. I'm with the Lord. So all of that is taken care of. I mean, what can people do to us? Do you think a little bit of... Uh, Banner back and forth on Facebook is persecution? Really? These people were facing their lives. And they gladly gave it up for the Lord because they knew they'd be with the Lord. Heaven was as real to them as the nose on our faces, as the chair in front of us. Heaven was real or is real. Ah, oh, is real. But anyway... So they settled that. And persecution, they just rolled with it, man. They, weren't, they didn't look to be martyrs. They didn't work reckless or anything, but they just rolled with it. The persecution that arose traveled as far as Phoenicia. Let's go with that map again, if we could, please. Traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. Hey, you ever made a mistake? Raise your hand if you ever made a mistake. Yesterday, I was walking with Jan. Yesterday, I was walking with Jan. And I was telling Jan how I was going to go fly out to get my son, Cade, and driving back from San Diego. And I told her how much fun me and Beck and Cade had on the drive over there. I said, yeah, we got through Nebraska, and we took a little nap and a thing. And then Colorado, oh, it's my favorite state. I love that. And then we entered into southern Oregon. And we went there, and it was so ugly. And she's looking at me like, what? And I'm like, yeah, southern Oregon. It's so ugly down there. I don't care if I ever go there again. And she says, what? And I'm like, yeah, Southern Oregon. And I'm walking about four more steps, and I go, oh, it's Southern Utah. And she's like, yeah, Oregon's way up there, dummy. <laughs> you ever had one of those? You ever, anybody ever did that? Well, I did this a couple weeks ago in this uh, teaching. You see where Cyprus is right there? That's where Barnabas is from, and I told you it was in the Greek Isles. And after I told Jan about Southern Oregon and Southern Utah, I went, oh, my goodness, 
I said that about Cyprus. So I'm recorrecting that. The Greek Isles are over there. Paul is, oh, look at this. <laughs> so there's Cyprus, not over there. That's Crete. Cyprus, that's where Barnabas was from. But what I'm trying to tell you here is watch. Stephen traveled, go back to the prior map, as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, look where Phoenicia is, the coast. Tyre and Sidon are there. Uh, um, Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch. Everybody with me on that? Okay, Antioch is about 300 miles from Jerusalem. And some of uh, they were preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. Take note of that. Verse 20, but some of them were men from Cyprus, not Crete, and Cyrene. Cyrene is down here in Africa, Okay. Everybody catching this? There's a whole bunch of different types of people that are coming on the scene. Who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. So watch what you have. You have scattered because of persecution. Church is starting to grow. Uh, Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, preaching the word. He, like, canvassed the place. But there were some men who were coming from Cyprus and Cyrene who gathered up in Antioch and spoke to the Hellenists. Now, what are Hellenists? Anybody here heard of Alexander the Great? When Alexander the Great came through prior to 0 AD, what he did was he conquered the known ancient world. And one of the things that Alexander, depending on your perspective, was great at was injecting and influencing all the different places that he conquered with Greek culture, literature, music, the ways in which you worship, the ways in which you dressed. And some Jewish people slipped out of orthodoxy into this lifestyle and they were called Hellenists. Others, when they're called Hellenists, are just Gentiles who were very influenced by Greek lifestyle. Everybody with me? So what probably is happening right here is these people, these men, these women, are coming to Antioch, and they're speaking to Gentiles preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, one more thing. Boy, do I have a lot of one more things. In this time, there were three great big cities in the Roman Empire. <laughs> One was Rome, even I can figure that out. And Rome was all about power and authority and domination. And the other one I, you saw up there was at the top of Egypt is Alexandria. And Alexandria had libraries and culture and they were all about knowledge and intellectualism. Antioch was known for its lasciviousness. It was immoral. It was the city where the moral sewage ran some writers have said. I mean, they worshiped gods and goddesses, and in particular, one goddess named Daphne. And uh, they actually engaged in sort of um, uh, worship that was sexual in nature, and it spread throughout the city. And this was a really warped and evil place, dark place. It could only be rivaled but about another city that we read about in the uh, New Testament, and that would be Corinth. But that's later on. At this time, it's Antioch, Rome, and Alexandria. And so, isn't it interesting that the Lord sends his people 
to the darkest of places. I mean, why would you be surprised that you're going into enemy territory? That's what the Lord's called us to. And these men and women, they didn't, there's no sense here in which they said, well, you're sending me to where? Oh, Lord, you must be wrong. I mean, I'm a Christian. I'm moral. I do things the right way. I'm righteous. The Lord said, what do you mean? If you don't go, who will? You're going. And he sent them up there, and he sends them to Antioch, and what do they do? Check this out. They preach. That's really hard. <laughs> Any of us can do it. Just preach the Lord Jesus. I'm a sinner. Jesus came to pay the penalty for the sins. He's the Lamb of God, takes away the sin of the world. He died for my sins and broke the power over sin, and he rose again. And there it is. And what we read from Paul in the book of Romans is that gospel that I just said that comes right out of the Bible is the power of God unto salvation. You don't have to be some great theologian. Just know the basics and share it with people. Preach Jesus and the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. Good news spreads fast. And they sent out Barnabas, who was from Cyprus, not Crete. That's for me. All right. <laughs> he was from Cyprus, or at least he had property on Cyprus, and he was from Tarsus in Turkey, uh, uh, Turkey or Asia Minor. We saw it on the map up there. And I don't know if you remember, but he was one who, in the, when the early church was around after Pentecost, guess what he did? He saw a need in the early church and he sold a property on Cyprus and gave the money to the early church. Whoa, Barnabas. He's called the son of encouragement, not the son of thunder. He's called the son of encouragement. And when Paul surrendered his life to Jesus on the road to Damascus, guess who came and buddied up with him? Barnabas. Everybody else said, wait a minute. He just was killing people. Not Barnabas. He ran towards him and was an encourager. Anyway, the news of these things came to the church, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. I mean, right? Who else would you want to entrust with this? Barnabas. He's dependable. He's an encourager. He's an exhorter. He finds people where they are and plugs them in. And you can trust him, and he's reliable, and he's full of the Holy Spirit. And yes, let's send Barnabas. So he goes up there 300 miles, and when he had came and seen the grace of God, he was glad. And I want to stop there for a minute. Oh, man, I'm not, Xander, I'm not going to get very far. You know what we need, Christians, in my opinion? More gladness. Sometimes I look around at Christians who look like they just sucked on lemons. You're like, lighten up, Francis. And yet, and yet, there's unbelievable amounts of heaviness that comes with being a Christian. We recognize we're not fighting against flesh and blood, that there's a spiritual war going on in the heavenlies. 
for many people's lives, and that is heavy, and we recognize that there are a lot of people who get involved in sin, and it's heartbreaking, right? And yet, when he came to Antioch, folks, the darkest city in the ancient world, there was this beacon of light called the Antioch Church. And when Barnabas, the son of encouragement, is walking his 300 miles, and he gets to the church, I want you to see something. There were outward evidences of the grace of God that made him glad. Glad. You you know something? I know the will of God for your life. And you know how I know? (laughs) Because I'm a reader. Because when I turn back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, do you remember this verse? It says, rejoice always. And again I say, this is the will of God for your life. Guess what the word rejoice and the word uh, means? It means be glad. It's the exact same word that's used right there. When Peter came into Antioch, or excuse me, Barnabas came into Antioch, he could see outward evidences of gladness. Now, I'm going to take you very quickly, I know it's hot, and show you something. Because there are people now at record levels of depression, anxiety, fear, sadness, gloom, and I'm not making fun. And I'm not just patting you on the head and say, get over it, get over it. I'm saying, when Barnabas came up over the hill, he saw a people in the darkest place that were rejoicing. And not only rejoicing, they were rejoicing always. That's the same word as gladness. Everybody with me? I want you to turn one other place. Go with me to Romans chapter 12, and we're going to end on gladness. So Xander, he's up next week, right there. This is going to take a little bit, but watch this. This is very famous. You know that Paul, is Paul different than Peter? Yes, Peter is about ready to give the baton to Paul. Next week, Xander's going to preach to you about it. Peter's about ready to give the baton to Paul, and Paul is eventually going to go all around the ancient world and set up these churches, and I want you to see that he wrote the book of Romans, Paul. And chapters 1 through 8 are the greatest, it's actually the whole book, but the greatest exposition on the grace of God that's ever been written. You say, what is the grace of God? It's too hard to contain in one definition. Read the book of Romans. And it's set forth in the first eight chapters. What do people say? God's riches at Christ's expense. Sure, that's part of grace. And it's not just grace for salvation. It's grace for everyday living. Everyday living, you can read in the next couple chapters of Acts. The Bible tells us to continue in grace. And Paul writes this amazing exposition, and then in chapter 9 through 11, like a good brief writer, he attaches an exhibit. 9 through 11 of Romans is an exhibit of God's grace. And you know what the exhibit is? He goes through this unbelievable theological discussion, but basically it's this. 
grace of God is so wonderful and magnificent. And he goes, exhibit A, see Israel. And attaches it to the brief. And then after that, he goes in chapter 12 and he goes, now this are, these are people, watch, watch. These are people who know about the grace of God. This is what their life looks like. Watch this. Look in verse 3 of chapter 12. After he said, give your whole life to Christ in response to the grace of God. Watch. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, watch this. I'm trying to detail for you when Barnabas came over the hill and looked in this dark city and saw this church, what did he see? Because he saw something that he said, I saw the grace of God and I was glad. He actually saw it with his eyes. So what did he see? I believe Peter, excuse me, Paul in Romans tells you what he sees for a grace-filled life in church. You catch me? Watch this. The first thing he says is, don't think so highly of yourself. Here, if you don't take anything away from this, take this away. You know what the Christian life is about? It's not about you. That's what America is. America is, how can God be do for me and do what I need him to do and make sure? It's not about you, folks. It's not about me. It's about him. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. But be sober as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Watch this. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members don't have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of another. Watch. Having then gifts. Hey, go, folks. I know. I've been, I know. I know. Remember the word glad and remember the word rejoice. It comes from a root word that means a gift. Which means when you uh, uh, have the grace of God in your life, one of the things you're not going to think about is, I always have to be right. It's always got to be about me. When I walk into a room, people need to talk about my needs and my thoughts to heck with what everybody else thinks. You know, sometimes we ought to just zip our lip and listen to other people and prop them up. See, that is an evidence that the grace of God is your life. And another evidence is then you're going to receive a gift. 1 Corinthians 12 says, verse 11, he gives you gifts as he wills. One of the gifts is this, prophecy in proportion to our faith or ministry. That just means practical stuff uh, in the church. Teaching, that's a gift. But watch, I wanted to show you this. Exhortation is a gift. Encouraging people is a gift. What does encourage mean? It means putting courage into people's lives. So when I, if, if people walked into Antioch, what would they see? They'd see people who were prophesying, who were teaching. But watch, you don't have to be the teacher to be exercising your gift. You could be right after the service, sitting right there, praying with somebody, encouraging them. He saw this stuff. It's exciting. People didn't just go, hey, how you doing? Nice life. I'll see you next Sunday. No, people got involved in other people's lives. He saw that. He saw uh, exhortation. And then watch this. He saw a generous church who gives with liberality, not only financially, but of time and resource, moving people, helping people, giving people rides, taking people groceries, visiting the sick. It doesn't have to be one guy. It can be all of us. 
That's what he saw when he came up over the hill at Antioch. And he was like, whoa, the grace of God is just smacking me in the face. I can see it in the people. And then watch. It just keeps going on and on. I won't go on and on, but let your love be without hypocrisy. I think this might be the biggest one that he saw. Watch this. Loving people really, authentically. People aren't just a rung on the ladder to get the pastor to the next level. People are people who you love. And that should be for you and for me. We authentically love people. Don't wear a mask here in the grace of God. That's what that's telling you. Be affectionate to one another, folks. Come on, don't say mean things to people. Come on. (laughs) The grace of God is, man, I really like you. You're so wonderful. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Honor other people, not just yourself. Honor people. That's what people with grace-filled lives do. Uh, Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Continue in prayer. Distributing to the needs of the saints. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. You're you're going, okay, I'm tuning him out. It's hot. I understand. I want to go home. I want you to see something. That guy was coming up over the hill going, man, Antioch. What am I going to find in Antioch? And it just went, boom, it hit him in the face. And he searched the grace of God, and it made him glad. You get it? (laughs) By the way, keep going on. Look in chapter 13. They were good citizens. Look in verse 8. They loved their neighbors. Look in verse 11. They put on Christ. Look in chapter 14. They were the law of liberty. They were free to eat foods or not eat foods. They were free to go to church on this day or not day. They were free to go to this festival or not participate in that festival, but they never laid trips on other people about it. And if it stumbled them, they would lay down their rights for their brother and sister. That is the grace of God at work in a person. And finally says this over in chapter 14. He even talks about it. He's talking about being convinced that there's nothing unclean. He says in verse 19, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. If you're edifying somebody, you're doing what the early church did in Antioch by the grace of God. What does edify mean? It means build up. Then in chapter 15, we then who are strong enough ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Okay, I've made my point. (laughs) I want you to see what a love-filled, Holy Spirit-filled, grace-filled church Grace is not just for salvation. It's for everyday life. It's resource and strength in his life to go on. I want you to see that wherever that church is, and it doesn't matter how many people are, it can rise up as a light 
on a hill and just sort of smack people in the face with how beautiful it is. Why? Because the fragrance of Christ is wafting over a generation of people who are nervous and anxious and depressed and sad and scared. And you and I and we look at death and we go, oh, to be with the Lord. The worst thing that man could dish out or the enemy of our souls could dish out, death, is just the entryway to eternal life and peace and bliss and joy for us. So now you just live by the grace of God. If we did this, thinking of others, sharing with others, what would Southwestern PA look like? Oh my goodness. Let's pray for it. Bow your heads. Well, Lord, uh, we come and we uh, ask, Lord, that you would do a mighty work in our hearts. Lord, help us to search out the grace of God. And Lord, give us your resource and strength to live like Antioch. But we know you do. You give us your Holy Spirit. There's no difference. Help us to put away the distractions and see what you can do to a heart fully surrendered to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, listen, before you go, two books. This book right here, Day by Day by Grace. You don't even have to buy the book. It's free online. You can get it emailed to you. If you want to know about the grace of God for everyday living, this book is in the bookstore. Or you can do it free by just subscribing to the email, and it'll come to you every day. Okay? You can look it up, Day by Day by Grace on the Blue Letter Bible. The other book I would suggest for you is, and I, did, I forgot to bring it, it's up at my house, is a book called Why Grace Changes Everything. And we should probably get that for around here. Why Grace Changes Everything. And it was written by Chuck Smith. And if you read those books, your life is going to be blessed. One time in 1999, 2000, I was sitting at Calvary Chapel, and this author came and gave this seminar to about 18 people in a little dusty basement in the west end of Pittsburgh. And I'm just going to tell you something. It changed my life forever. I thought grace was for salvation, and that's it. And right here, buddy, it walks you right through it. So God bless you. If there's anything we could pray about, come up after. Let's stand with us.